What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, it's back to school, back to office season. It's like nothing's changed since 2019. Almost. We talked to Jay Clayton, former SEC regulator. Are we going to go back to five days a week, 40, 50, 60, 70 hours in the office? I don't think so. But are we going to isolate from each other going forward? Definitely not. And for some, absolutely everything is different now. And it should be. Entrepreneur Kevin O'Leary. If you're 24 and you're coming out of MIT and you're an engineer, there is no way in hell you're working in a cubicle in a high rise with crappy poisonous air getting on the subway. And Apple's newest suite of products, watches, phones, earbuds. They've kept the inflation-pressed consumer in mind? Well, maybe. CNBC's John Ford. This isn't Tim Cook's first rodeo. It might look on the surface like Apple didn't raise prices, but they did. Those stories today, plus oil finally on a decline, China on a new lockdown, and Disney almost snapped up Twitter? I bet Elon Musk wishes they would have bought it. It is Thursday, September 8th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back, you buy in three, two, one, fuel three. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're here, the Grouches, the Grinches. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew's off today. The Grinch may have seen his heart grow on Wall Street yesterday. Markets having their best day in a month Wednesday, and the tech-heavy Nasdaq broke a seven-day losing streak. But with the rally, stocks remain in a downtrend overall, and that is due to concerns about the economy and further rate hikes from the U.S. Federal Reserve, and due to the supply crunch of energy globally. Yesterday, the price of oil slid to a seven-month low, and it's still dropping. Still in the 80-plus dollar a barrel range as opposed to 120, but investors are concerned about demand slowing considerably, particularly as one source of global energy, Russia, continues to taunt its neighbors. Some chilling comments from Vladimir Putin. Speaking to business leaders yesterday, Putin said Russia could decide to rip up existing contracts to supply energy to Europe if the EU implements price caps. Так достигнутый уровень промышленного развития Европы, качество жизни людей, социально-экономическая стабильность, все это бросается в топку санкционной печи. He said, we will not supply anything at all if, contract, if it contradicts our interests. We will not supply gas, oil, coal, heating oil. We will not supply anything. We would only have one thing left to do, as in the famous Russian fairy tale, we would let the wolf's tail freeze. Putin was referring to a story about a cunning fox who tricks a wolf into freezing by using his tail to catch fish from, an ice, from a hole in the ice. Russia has already halted gas supplies to Europe, citing technical issues with the Nord Stream pipeline, leaving the region vulnerable as it tries to replenish energy storage ahead of the colder months. Uh, you can see natural gas in Europe is down by about five and a half percent, but I think if you've been looking over the course of the year, it's up by close to 700 percent. Today's dip in oil prices follows yesterday's slide to a new seven-month low. All right. Yeah, we 
wheat too. Grain, food. Which gets you back to the question of how long does the EU remain resolute and how long do other partners remain resolute? Which is clearly what Putin's trying to do, break them. And it was a, it, the long game. We thought, you know, after a couple of months, hey, how about the fox wolf fishing with its tail? There's some things that, that don't translate. So that's not, I don't think that's such a great... Uh, that we have better cold. ones. I think, <laughs> I think we have better ones. Breaking news in the last hour, UK Prime Minister Liz Truss unveiling her energy plan, lifting the ban on fracking and approving more drilling in a move uh, to boost energy supplies. Also in the plan, a cap on energy bills that she says uh, will curb inflation by up to five percentage points. She says it will save the typical household more than $1,100 a year. This government is moving immediately to introduce a new energy price guarantee that will give people certainty on energy bills. From the 1st of October, a typical household will pay no more than £2,500 per year for each of the next two years while we get the energy market back on track. How does that work, though? I don't like, we're we're going to cap it, meaning the utility has to stop. I, I, I'm glad they're going to. We're going to cap it. I want to see. I want to see. I'm glad they're doing it so we can watch this experiment because it, if it works, it's like maybe well, the, I mean, the first just, time okay, ever. Okay, we're going to cap it, meaning the government will pick up the excess. That's the only the way. Taxpayer dollars. That's the only it, way. We're going to sell the utilities. They can't charge anymore, meaning they'll go. I think it means it the government's going to have to subsidize. Does it Which not? means the taxpayers are going to pick it up and. It, 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 it'll get it one way or another. Yeah, it's just, it, 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 the, the details are going to be very important with how this works. I mean, if you tell energy companies they can only charge this much, that's going to be well, a problem. Yeah, if they have higher input costs right. than output costs. Because then it's just going to mean that right. the, go the supply goes down. Chinese city of Chengdu extending its COVID lockdowns until at least Saturday. Those rules were expected to be lifted yesterday, but officials late in the day said that the virus still posed a risk in some areas. Of the city's more than 21 million residents, 16 million are still under lockdown. A handful of districts have been released from full lockdown, but residents there still have to undergo mass testing tomorrow and Sunday, and they've been playing around with the lockdown language. They're saying, it's not a lockdown, you can come out and get tested, but then please go back home. I'm wondering about the zero tolerance policy. I guess we didn't have a, a chance to do zero because it was already not zero. Well, it, it, you don't have a strong centralized authority that's going to be able to tell right. every state that you have to stay home indefinitely. So they have no herd immunity, nothing even they close. They don't have herd immunity and they have not been vaccinated the way we've been So vaccinated, they could be so. on the front end of this, of what is a pretty serious thing if you don't, if none of your people have seen the virus. It's, look, it's a time clock. This is a time warp. It takes us back to where we were before. Don't you feel good about the herd immunity here? I, yeah. I feel good for my for no, myself. I, do. I don't. You I know. do too. Um, the, the one thing I'll say, though, if you look at oil prices, oil prices down I, pretty I significantly. Know. I saw it again. It's 82, wasn't it? The, yeah, 82. It's the lowest level I think we've seen since January, maybe even before that. Um, lowest settlement. Yeah, it's lowest settlement for January for WTI, Brent, and Arbob. And that has to do not just with the lockdowns, but the potential concern about a recession and what that means globally. Yeah, because the supply backdrop seems like it's getting worse in terms of, uh, of Russia and OPEC and everything, OPEC plus. Bob Iger, I guess at one point, wanted to buy Twitter. It was back in 2016 when he was the CEO of Disney, but backed out after both companies' boards uh, had agreed to uh, not do a deal. Yesterday at the Code Conference, he elaborated on the details of that decision. 
after we sold the whole concept to the Disney board and the Twitter board and were really ready to execute a negotiation that was just about done, interestingly enough, I went home, contemplated it for a weekend and thought, I'm not looking at this as carefully as I need to look at it. Yes, it's a great solution from a distribution perspective, but it would come with so many other challenges and complexities that as a manager of a great global brand, I was not prepared to take on. Major distraction and having to manage circumstances that weren't even close to anything that we had faced before. 2016, let me just see. What was you know, the that's price? That's pretty smart. I, I wish... I, I bet did, Elon Musk wishes they would have bought it. Did you think? It, did you his. did you check the price? No. So, 2016. Where Fifteen dollars. Oh wow. So uh, you could have offered a fifty percent premium at twenty two, which would be half of what Musk was in for. Maybe a fifteen. Thirty three percent premium at twenty yeah, bucks. Maybe that. Maybe it was because that's what people think it might be worth. Yeah. Uh, at this point. But, but you know what? That, that's. Pretty incredible for him to sit back and say, wait a second, this is going to take way too much of my time right. and attention. Step back out of it. Disney, Twitter. After you've already convinced your board. And that's a, I, I would say that's a pretty smart move from a manager after he's convinced his board and the other company's board to then say, wait a second, I don't really want this. That is admitting this was going to be my worst trade and going and admitting my mistake before it, it happens. sounds like a horizontal, I don't What's the, why Disney Twitter? I, exactly. I mean, I, I understand gaming. You know, I understand buying a gaming company for a media company more than I would. No, I'm saying. I mean, Twitter is media, but, but it doesn't seem like it would make sense. What would Twitter would do? What, 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 why would that help Disney I'm other than just owning? You. Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. agreeing with you. I don't. I don't get the how you would lock up the symphony, so to speak. No. What makes sense from that perspective? And he's right. It would have taken a huge amount of time and attention. <laughs> Disney certainly would not have had to change any of the Twitter sensors that we know uh, are already there, they would have just said, hey, just ramp it up a little bit, the way that... Uh, Can you imagine, just from the... Could have been even more woke than it is. From the political blowback you get from it, just that alone would, would as right. a manager, forget it. I don't want to deal with this. You wouldn't have to change a thing, though. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, location, location, location. Some of us are heading back to the office. I know I am, but not everyone is thrilled to be back in the city. Investor and entrepreneur Kevin O'Leary. Cities like New York, Chicago, San Francisco, LA, they're war zones. But maybe we have some perks, at least here at home. That's what former SEC Chair Jay Clayton says. If you can do your job remote without interacting with other people, somebody can do it from somewhere else in the world where you don't have all the benefits that you have being here in America. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And we're back. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. It's September, back to school for a lot of students this week. And now after the summer and the Labor Day holiday, many laptop-toting white-collar workers are facing a deadline that has been looming and receding for more than two years, the return to the office. March 2020 was a tipping point. The COVID-19 pandemic sent millions of Americans from their cubicles and standing desks to a previously unimaginable life of working from home. In my case, working from the closet. But now, after vaccines and variants and variants, we hope the worst of this once-in-a-lifetime health crisis is behind us and life can feel more normal. In addition to gatherings and travel, a big part of normal life is work and the places where you do it. New York Governor Kathy Hochul has lifted the mask mandate for New York City's public transit. That brings the MTA in line with other transportation systems that relaxed their rules back in April. And separately, Amazon CEO Andy Jassy says that the company does not plan to order corporate employees to return to the office. Speaking at the Code Conference, Jassy says most employees have returned to physical offices and are spending some days working from home. It's an evolving work in progress, is what I think. You know, I, um, we decided about a year ago that while people had different opinions on what they thought they were going to want to do coming mm-hmm. out of the pandemic, when you really spoke in depth with folks, nobody really knew how they were going to feel, but what they did want was some level of control over how they came back to work. And so we decided about a year ago that we would allow directors of teams to make the decision for their own teams. He also said that Amazon is now more open to remote work and will be recruiting employees from any location, not just areas where it has a large presence. So if you, I I have to come in from New Jersey, so I I never take mass transit. Mm -hmm. There's been a mask requirement Mm -hmm. on the subways until yesterday. Probably the least of their issues when you consider what's happening. And and everybody else stopped in April? Yeah. And it's September. Yep. So getting workers back into the office, convincing them to pack their to-go coffee mugs and restart old commutes has been a priority and a bit of a greatest hit for corporate leaders. Hedge funder Bill Ackman of Pershing Square said on Squawk Box this week that remote work has diminished commitment. I think it's very hard to build a culture and maintain a culture of an organization if, uh, virtually. If you're exclusively work from home, you're, you just need to change your like, you know, email address and you can switch to a new employer. Right, so it's the frictional costs of switching are so low that yeah, I wouldn't have that much confidence in a, in a virtual firm. Firms on Wall Street are trying, really trying, for a new normal. CNBC's Leslie Picker reported. By and large, it looks something like this. Post-Labor Day, employees can work from home when needed, but encouraged to be in the office as much as possible. They must be vaccinated to enter offices in New York City, but most other markets don't have such a mandate. and. Once in the office, things will look a little more like they did in 2019 with no mask requirements and curtailing of COVID testing. 
This is the picture at firms like Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and BlackRock, just to name a few. In a memo sent last week, Jeffrey's CEO Richard Handler urged employees to be in the office on a, quote, consistent basis during the fourth quarter, while saying that the firm is, quote, not going to look at individual names on the turnstiles. That's a nod to some of the other firms which have reportedly been tracking in-office presence of employees. Most firms have stopped short of issuing broad physical mandates after years of attempting to do so, only to have to switch gears in the face of new variants and COVID waves that would reprioritize remote work, much to the dismay of the C-suite. JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon has long lamented the drawbacks of work from home model, including the lack of apprenticeship, slower decision making, and less spontaneous learning and creativity. So we will see if this latest in office push will be any stickier as banks continue to grapple with the unpredictability of this virus. The August jobs report out last week showed 10.3 million Americans teleworked due to COVID. That's the government's quaint term for work from home. Now that is down from nearly 50 million when the data was first gathered in May of 2020 and down almost a million from July. But then one and a half million Americans called out sick due to illness during that same month. Now maybe that number doesn't sound like that much, except that it's half a million more than called out sick on average from 2009 to 2019 in January and February, which is the height of the normal flu season. And it's almost double the 10-year average for a typical August. Our economics reporter, Steve Leisman, crunched those numbers. He spoke with Joe Kernan. We're kind of living with a permanent flu in the economy. Obviously, it went up in January also, but it's much higher in this August compared to others. And that's not to mention the estimate from a recent Brookings paper that from two to four million people may be out of the workforce due to long COVID. All of this challenges the ability to get the economy back up to potential growth. It could actually reduce potential growth. It also challenges productivity, Joe, and could help drive inflation. I was wondering, Steve, that I was trying to, to come to grips with those numbers in, in terms of where we are in the pandemic right now. And, and I was ready to write it off to a behavioral change that people are, are just that much more willing to, to, to call in sick after going through it. But you're saying that there's, there's something to this in terms of either long COVID because the, the rates of, of COVID right now, and especially serious COVID cases, that hasn't gone up to account for one point. What, what did you say it was? That, that many people calling one in sick? One and a half million. We're not there in terms yeah, of, um, of, of a resurgence of, of, the, of COVID itself. Pandemic. Are we? Well, it was, it was, interesting. It was interesting to hear uh, Mr. Ackman. If you have the sniffles today, you call out sick. Everybody's doing it. And I think that number, those kind of uh, actions. Now, what's really interesting is on the one hand, let's say you have a job where you have to be in the office or in the restaurant or it's a, what do they call it, a consumer-facing job. That's a loss. That job is not done. But some people... They have the sniffles. They can work from home. So there's this offsetting issue when it comes to productivity. So those numbers are higher. Uh, Joe, if you look at the New York Times numbers, we're still having like 90,000 new cases a day. 87, I think, was the number I saw this morning. So it's still out there. And people are, are, are whether they have COVID or not, they're going to call in sick. I think, I think the culture has changed in a way. Workplaces are forever changed. How about the people in them? In our workplace, Squawk Box anchors Joe, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin spoke to two guests with pretty different views on the future of the American office. For a closer look, let's bring in former SEC Chair Jay Clayton. He's now Apollo Global uh, Management non-executive chair and a CNBC contributor. And Kevin O'Leary, investor and venture capitalist. He's also like uh, 
he goes with the flow. You, he's a CNBC contributor. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. You're you're like hip to to the way things are done nowadays. You listen to to, uh, to some of these people that, that think it's going to be like this forever. The cyber, and you're fully for it. Jay, don't you need to look over the cubicle and see whether people are just totally? I mean, you need to see whether there's. You can't do that if they're at home. They can screw off for hours at a time. Does not commuting make up for all the great things that go into uh, being with your coworkers? Jay, do you think that that can be done and there's a new normal and we're never going back to people showing up in the office? Well, well look, Joe, the, the short answer is, is no. Um, we're talking today about back to school. I think we all know that uh, school uh, remotely didn't work very well. Uh, you can translate that to the office environment in many ways. One of them you just talked about was accountability. And fairness. Do you feel? Do you feel as an employer like you have accountability? Do you feel as a fellow employee like there's fairness? But there are more important things than that, and and that is that is the sense of a common mission. And I really believe that we did much better than expected going to remote work because we had built up goodwill in our large organizations over the years, and that people pitched in, had a common mission, shifted. Look. In 2020, March of 2020, when we all went home and yet the markets functioned, something we all know well, that was the result of technology, but it was more the result of the goodwill and relationships that had been built up over the years. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Kevin, that's going to run out, all right? When these people, you know, are, are at home and, and there's no one minding the store, you, you really think saving a little commuting time makes up for, for people that are, I don't know, there's just no way you can be as productive if, if you're at home. You need a boss, Kevin. You need a tough taskmaster. Here's why that thinking isn't going to work. Um, you know, you think about good times, bad times, recession times, slowdown in the economy. Companies are still pursuing the very best talent that they can get. And so at the end of the day, you have to ask that talent through your HR departments, what does it take to win you over? Good times, bad times. Let me walk you down the list right now of what's going on here and why I don't think it's going to change. Because I've got lots of HR people, lots of different companies, investments in all 11 sectors. And I just want to pause for one second before I shred Jay in this debate and say thank you for your service. I, I worked under you in terms of being an issue of securities. You were the most pragmatic regulator we've ever had. Thank you very much. Now, having said that, back to work. I look at this and say, let's get down the list, all right? Number one, and I didn't make this stuff up. These are the top nine issues that we're facing trying to get people in. Number one, I don't want to increase the world's carbon footprint by commuting to work every day. Number two, I do not want to live and work in a high rise where the air is poisoned. That's new. We never used to hear that a couple of years ago, but that's probably COVID-based. And it's true, most of these high-rise buildings have really crappy HVAC in them because they're really old. They've already proven, this is number three in the hit parade, that they can work remotely and productively and have been doing it for two and a half, three years. Number four, they're raising families and they want to do it in affordable communities, hundreds of miles away from HQ. And they're not, they don't want to change because they're getting great schools. And many, many, many members you know, are working in other countries of these teams. Now, you can hire people in India, you can hire them in Dubai, you can hire them in Europe and still get productivity out of them. And then there's this whole thing about cities like New York, Chicago, San Francisco, L.A., their war zones. People don't want to go there and get their watch stolen or assaulted or whatever else. That just happened recently. You can't blame them. It's true. 
people are stealing watches in Los Angeles where I'm going this afternoon. I can't wear one anymore there. And, you know, frankly, they're not interested in paying the cost of commuting. And they even say lunch costs them an extra 150 to 200 bucks when they have to buy it downtown. They'd rather make it at home. What do you say to all of that? Because if you want to hire that person, you've got to give them answers to every one of them, starting right at the top with that carbon footprint thing. Brand new one, hard to dispute. Yeah. And Kevin, those things are things you cannot ignore, but you can't also ignore the fact that teamwork and being part of the team makes everyone better. And we've all seen that. I, I am lucky enough to look out over a trading floor where people have been in. You can see the buzz. You can see them working together. Now, are we going to go back to you know five days a week, 40, 50, 60, 70 hours in the office? I don't think so. But are we going to isolate from each other going forward? Definitely not. And, and I, I say this to, to, to people who are out there, young professionals, if you can do your job remotely, without interacting with other people, somebody can do it from somewhere else in the world where you don't have all the benefits that you have being here in America. And you got to think about that. I mean, right now, America is in the best possible position relative to the rest of the world. We responded the best to the pandemic. We have you know, a lot of strengths that other places don't have, including energy and the like. If we go into a choppy time period, the leverage that employees have today it kind of goes away. We're talking about very highly paid, highly skilled employees who are essential, but when things pull back, they're high cost. And I would caution particularly the young people who want to be professionals for the rest of their lives to get in, get mentorship. We have, we have an apprenticeship economy. You learn by watching people who do your job and you learn very well. You better, provide, you better access that kind of opportunity. I know myself, that I would not be nearly as successful, have as many opportunities, had I not had the opportunity to watch women and men who came to form it. Kevin, uh, th th since last week, I don't know, those, those new things you came up with are, are, are just, really? So commuting, you, you think everybody's going to be worried about the, that they have to, so no one's going to ever leave, the, the, we're going to the metaverse, no one's ever going to have a carbon footprint, they're not going to leave their house anymore, are you for real, you stop flying, eating any burgers anymore, people aren't going to go back to work because they're worried about the carbon footprint, what was the other thing you said, crappy heating and air conditioning in the high rises, where'd you come up with those two things, you didn't have those last time, you, who gave you those, those two things, let bomb. me tell Jay, you what Jay, I did, did you hear that, that? When, when he was saying that, what do you think of that Jay, were you going, who is this guy, um, go ahead Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> who, who are you? I basically called up the HR people, said, what's holding us back from hiring 24-year-olds? Remember, if you are 60 or you're 50 or you're 40, you've experienced that working together, the collaboration you guys are all pining about. Those years are over. It's over. There's technology now that lets you work together with people and collaborate. We've been doing it for two and a half years. But if you're 24 and you're the hot hand over the keyboard and you're coming out of MIT and you're an engineer, there is no way in hell you're working in a cubicle in a high rise with crappy poisonous air getting on the subway. <laughs> Kevin, you don't COVID have to air. do that anymore. COVID air. You're the hot hand. Is this mostly technology and just trying to find those really talented programmers? No, Becky. No, no. It's across the board. We have an insecticide company in the middle of the country. We're trying to get people to come back 
and work in HQ and market the insecticide. We have commercial kitchens. We have wireless charging technology companies. I'm involved in the watch industry. We can't even get the watchmakers back to their benches anymore. They want to work at Kevin, home. Let me let me let me let me let me jump in. I know that what you're saying, this a- anecdotal, is evident across the economy. A theme that we've seen lately is we've been too late. People say, you know, the, the Fed was too late, this was too late. I'm I'm really concerned that we're going to be too late going back to work. I'm not worried about that at all. The productivity's proven. That's the biggest problem, Jay, you've got with this argument. It's already over. It's already done. It's already proven. You walk into MIT and try and get those men and women to come and work at a desk behind a keyboard and a screen, and you want those people. This is These are the hottest hands that are out there. They all want to go work in on the blockchain now. They want to work in different countries. They'd rather live in a Caribbean island because, unfortunately, your predecessor or who's taken over has not given us policy. I don't want to get down that road, but all of our really strong engineers are leaving the United States because we don't have policy on crypto. I'm trying to hire them. We need you back at the desk, my friend, in the office, putting out some good policy like you used to. I don't know. I, I, I tweeted when I was out there, it'd be nice to, to, to come to everyone from Colorado. That, that, I did tweet that out, Kevin, and I was starting to agree with you. People want us back here together, don't they? I mean, don't you think it's better when we can? I think there are certain jobs where you have to be, like, on the job physically. Like this one? Like this one, we okay. can do it like this. To say that what's happened over the last 100 years, the way we did it, like nothing, there's been no evolution, no technological change is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I just, I, I think that you get- I'm with Kevin. School. But school, I school. was gonna say school. Think school. about school. School, school. Well, why do you school. think that- me every time. School. school. Oh, right. Did people in the workforce are just big children. They're just big children. Well, Most look. of us. Yeah, <laughs> they need direction. They need oversight. They Left to their own I devices. younger children. I actually think older children, maybe not. I don't know, I've seen- I, Adults I have are younger children. children. That's the problem. to them. That's the problem. Uh, Jay and uh, Kevin. Obviously, we haven't resolved this, so we'll have to bring you guys back. Thank you. Up next on Squawk Pod, we're recapping Apple's annual fall event, new AirPods, new Apple Watches, and new iPhones. Sort of. A guy who is wearing a shirt, opening a new shirt, and saying, this looks exactly like the one he's wearing, saying, this is me upgrading to the iPhone 14 after the 13. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. Apple yesterday unveiling the iPhone 14 lineup and uh, the company largely did not raise prices despite this year's inflation surge. With Apple stock outperforming the market this year until now, will the iPhone 14 be a hit with investors? John Fort is here to weigh in. John, it's nice to see you in person. Yeah, great to be here. Um, but, you know, when it comes to Apple stock, Uh, Nice looking phone, but no. I mean, iPhone 14 looks great for consumers, not so great for investors, and here's why. 
Apple had a golden opportunity to raise prices here just a little bit, 50 bucks. It chose not to with consumer spending slowing down heading into Q4. And that means they'll sell a good number of phones, but profits, gross margins will probably get pinched and investors won't like that at all. Look, let's look at the big picture. Apple does this every year, like clockwork, announce an iPhone line in early September, ship in late September. Last year's new iPhone gets 100 bucks cheaper, so now you got phones from 430 bucks to 1100 bucks in almost perfect $100 steps. Now, when the economy was good, that worked out. With some consumers eager to trade down to a cheaper phone, though, it's going to be a liability. With a strong dollar likely to dampen international sales and high cost pressuring margins, investors they're going to get an iPhone reality check, Becky. But Apple did announce a lot of new features and high-end phones. Isn't that going to help things out a little bit when it comes to margins? Well, on the other hand, this isn't Tim Cook's first rodeo. It might look on the surface like Apple didn't raise prices, but they did in the smartest way. Last year, there was an iPhone 13 mini. Smaller screen, a little bit cheaper than the 13. This year with the 14, no mini. Instead, they have a new 14 plus. Bigger screen costs 100 bucks more than the 14. So bottom line, your entry price for the newest iPhone just went up. A couple more factors to consider too. Apple intentionally loaded its higher end phones with the best features this year, even more than usual. Satellite SOS, 48 megapixel camera, always on screen. That's gonna tempt people to the higher end models. They also launched a new Apple Watch Ultra and AirPods Pro that a certain percentage of iPhone buyers are likely to put in their shopping baskets as well. That's how you get customers to spend more without charging more. Even if margins are a little tight at launch as Apple wraps production, they'll quickly smooth out and investors will be happy with this iPhone cycle, Becky. Did you see Steve Jobs' daughter, Eve, poking a little fun at the new phone? She sent out a, something on Instagram that had a, a, a guy who is wearing a shirt, opening a new shirt and saying, this it looks exactly like the one he's wearing, saying, this is me upgrading to the iPhone 14 after the 13. Basically, it looks just like the last phone, not much new. I did not see that. Wow, Eve. Yeah, Eve. How much stock does Eve have in Apple? She's going she's gonna to look askance at Tim Cook? Well, she's probably got a lot in Disney, you know. So once she starts mocking the take, new Pixar take your, flip, sure, I'll take, give me either. But she'll be in full rebellion I'm at that sh- point. I know, but if she's got plenty of... I think of, she was trying to be lighthearted, but, but she, she probably should, forgets that anything she says is going to be so you know, I just think I'd, if you had yeah. to, you know, you, it, it was a tragedy what happened to her father. But if, I mean, Tim's carried that, uh, when you pass a baton to him, you'd probably be pretty happy if you were a member of the... But also, Steve wasn't exactly a corporate button-down guy. He literally flew the pirate flag. You expect Eve to just, you know, step in line? That wouldn't be a Jobs thing to do. So then it's, yeah, so then maybe it's genetic. On the other hand. On the other hand. On the other hand. uh, (laughs) Thanks, John. That's the pod for today. Thanks for listening. Are you heading back to the office after a pandemic pause? Have you been going in a while and you want to stop hearing about it? Let us know. We are on Twitter, at Squawk. CNBC is the handle. Tell us what's going on with you. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. 
Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 